live from the world's most famous arena, Big East Media Day. Loads of players and coaches for you. Can't wait to share it all with you. From the Player of the Year preseason and Maddie Cedrus to Villanova, right on through what we can expect out of UConn, Marquette, DePaul. It's going to be a fun one. Lockdown Women's Basketball starts now. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Well, hi there and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. Thank you for making us your first listen every single day. Uh, You can make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, either online, audio only, or make sure you subscribe over at YouTube. Of course, it's not just me. It's the entire incredible team brought to you by the incredible staff at The Next, thenexthoops.com. Make sure you subscribe. $9 a month, $72 a year. You get over 100 women's basketball reported pieces. You get us right here six days a week. Make sure you are supporting the women's basketball newsroom. We all know we need. And so the place I want to start today is just Maddie Segrist. Maddie Segrist, a human double-double, pride of Poughkeepsie, New York, has turned herself into an epic star. I have covered her throughout her time at Villanova. I will be covering her next April when they call her name at the WNBA draft, and I believe for many years to come over there. So this is very exciting. Uh, Without further ado, we're going to start out. Maddie, we talked to Denise Dillon, her coach at Villanova. You are watching and listening to Lockdown Women's Basketball. Maddie, where I want to start with you, and I, I'm a stat nerd, um, I, as un, you know, I, as I think we know from past conversations, you had a stat last year that's my favorite of yours, which is your turnover percentage was 7.7%. It is the lowest in the country. It's something that even at the W level, you're talking Elena Deladon, Brianna Stewart level, in terms of being able to protect the ball. You were guarded at all times by six, seven players. Uh, I mean, how did you manage that? How did you manage to take such good care of the basketball? I mean, I think just knowing the importance of, you know, having the basketball and possessions, usually the team who has the most possessions is going to win the game. Like, mm-hmm. that's, you know, why we have such a, um, you know, we want to rebound the ball so well because, you know, you give yourself extra possessions. Just knowing when I have it, um, you know, you got, you got to keep you care of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Coach talked about the fact also just that in general, your ability to take care of the ball helped rub off on the rest of your teammates. And you guys were, I think, top 15 in the country as a team in terms of lowest turnover percentage. But, you know, how much do you see that in possession by possession, even as the season went on, of people taking care and making those decisions because you were? Um, I think we put ourselves in such, like, uh, chaotic situations at practice. Coach does a great job giving us, like, end-of-game situations. And, like, mm-hmm. that's where you really got to take care of the ball the best. And just knowing that, you know, you've already been there. And you got to instill the confidence in the younger kids. Just knowing, like, especially Lucy Olsen, she's our point guard. Just be like, you got to take care of the basketball no matter what. And she did such a good job embracing that. Um, I think, like, when, you know, other kids feel that confidence, like, we got it. We're going we're gonna to get a great shot here. Then, you know, it becomes contagious. Have you let yourself think about what that will feel like, that moment? when you get 
uh, your name called in the WNBA draft? <laughs> Not yet. I've mm -hmm. really tried to just keep it one day at a time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's been such an amazing opportunity to play in Villanova and just, you know, enjoy every moment of it. And then just the other side of it is that, you know, you have already accomplished so much, you know, taking this team to the tournament, you know, winning an NCAA game here as well. What, if any, are the benchmarks as you think about, you know, taking through this, this senior year for you? I mean, I think you always want to, you just keep raising the bar. That's the thing is the mm -hmm. bar is always, you can always just, you know, make it harder. You want more. And, you know, Coach has done a great job challenging me. She challenged me every day at practice. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that just gets you ready. Like, practice for us is so much harder than games, which I think is the way, you know, you want it to be. And just, you know, it just gets you ready for the season. And, you know, you just got to take it one day at a time. Because, um, you know, obviously last year I was set back with an injury for, for the first couple of eight games. So just knowing that, you know, how important it is every game. Uh, the last thing, actually, just how many tickets have you been able to request for the game at Marist? Uh. And, you know, what what, what is that going to feel like for you to, you know, to go back to your hometown and play there when you had you know, I mean, your early success? You know, uh, my parents are both alumni from there. My dad uh, played there. They're just being, you know, so special. Uh, obviously look forward to the game, you know, competing um, in front of my family and stuff, but just to be able to go there. I'm so grateful we were able to schedule this game. Sure. And uh, I just see everyone on the break. Thanks, Maddie. Coach, to that end, you know, obviously there's a lot of conversation about Maddie scoring, her rebounding. The number that keeps sticking out for me is her turnover percentage was 7.7%, .7%, you know, which mm -hmm. is, you know, there's a couple of players in the W level who have ever done that. Okay. Um, and so to do that, Inter Junior take care of the ball. Obviously, you guys as a team yeah. take care of the ball as well as just about anyone in the country. But does that have an effect? That she's making good decisions. She's making smart decisions with the ball. Does that impact the way your entire Team is doing so. Yeah, I was actually pleased with that in her game because she was looking to actually pass the ball more. Like so, her passing uh, skills had improved. Uh, but it is—it's good decision making. Like understanding, it, it sounds so simple, but get a shot on the rim each possession. Mm -hmm. it, it sounds simple, but when it makes sense to a player, mm -hmm. like, don't try and make more happen. You're just trying to win the basket, like get right. get a shot, whether it's a jumper or a shot around the basket. So Maddie certainly understand it, and not uh, complicated, not trying to do too much. And I would say even that lesson has been taught quickly to Lucy Olson, not yeah. trying to be uh, flashy. It's just all right. We're in the paint. We're going to take the shot. Not they draw it. Just simple kick out. So yeah, not complicating the game for sure. You you and we've talked about this in the past. You have prepared her even as she's been a huge part of this program for what comes next. And so, you know, seeing some of the bigger players who are acting as secondary facilitators at the next level, whether it's Alyssa Thomas, you know, right. obviously Candace Parker most notably, but even more and more you're seeing that. Is that part of your thinking in, you know, the way in which you're utilizing her in the offense? Well, it always is. You want to uh, prepare and help guide them to achieve whatever their ultimate goals are mm -hmm. and they aspire to be. So when Maddie talks about playing the next level, yeah, that's always the back of my brain, but I also don't want it to be a fight. Like there's a challenge, but you don't want it to be a fight. We want to be sure to get the best Maddie secrets we can as mm -hmm. opposed to thinking what that may look like in two to three years as she continues to mature and grow because I think the strength factor is a big thing, but you can't, like, that's not going to happen overnight. I think the commitment has been there, mm -hmm. but I, I do feel, uh, you know, we haven't seen the best of Maddie Seacrest. And, and to, that may be when she's, you know, 25, 26, in her prime physically. So. Right.
And then, and then just in terms of having the breakthrough, winning that NCAA tournament game, has it changed the conversations you're having with recruits? Are, are you hearing different things? Are, you know, do you feel like it, that alone, that breakthrough alone, has helped sort of take the program to another level at this point? Yeah, well, I think it's just continuing to build off the uh, great traditions of uh, what Harry uh, had established. And just our goal is to sustain it um, year after year and continue to grow. Mm -hmm. I'm not looking for, you know, once every uh, four or five. You know, I talked about that a lot when I was at uh, Drexel. There were times with, when it's a one-bid league, you're only getting that opportunity when you get the right players in line. Here in the Big East, you know, we, we heard Val say it. There's four uh, teams in the uh, postseason with the NCAA tournament and then mm -hmm. two in the NIT. So just continuing to play at that level so we can uh, advance. And yes, that one win was tremendous, but I feel that was the uh, motivation of our team, why they came back ready to go, because they want more. You know, they, they're working for more. Uh, I think it wasn't a surprise as to what we did, but it was a disappointment, you know, mm -hmm. losing that battle, uh, physical battle to Michigan. So, right. like, holding on to that to inspire to be more. And recognizing that it happens in the non-conference. I really, I'll, I'll keep saying it, our non-conference schedule is challenging. Yeah. And we have to be prepared for it. So, uh, it's mentioned on a regular basis. <laughs> After the trip to Poughkeepsie, is there a single game that you think will help give you the best sense of who you are before you get into Big East play? Yeah, well, well, I mean, there's a couple, but Princeton immediately. We play them that first week, so uh, most definitely. You know, what she has done there is tremendous. I think Courtney did a great job, and Cart just continues uh, to raise the level. Uh, yeah, and then we have a number of, of down. We're down at a Florida for a tournament down there. We have Belmont right away. We're in Baylor's bracket, so oh, we're gonna. We're going to certainly see where we are early enough. For sure. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Locked on Women's Basketball are brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is, of course, the daily fantasy where you compete against yourself. How does it work? You just pick two to five players, and if they go score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. It's no competing against other people. It's you versus the projections. And critical for all of us, Women's college basketball, WNBA, there is equality along with the NBA, NFL, MLB, you name it. Safe and fast withdrawals and entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. So download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. If you deposit $100, bucks, PrizePix will give you 100 bucks. Just use the promo code LOCKEDON. That's promo code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Sign up for an instant deposit and a match up to $100. Thanks for making Lockdown Women's Basketball your first listen today. Now for your second listen, use Game to Game NBA. Every moment, every top performance, every result. Lockdown Game to Game covers every game across the NBA with local analysis that only Lockdown can deliver. Follow Game to Game on Locked On NBA, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and whenever you get podcasts. Um, I did want to start with Texas, obviously, which is, you know, a super fun team to play. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, when you guys start to think about, you know, that challenge early on, 
you know, you guys won 23 last year, and there's an argument to be made, and I made it, that you guys uh, can and should have been in the NCAA tournament. Does that feel like, you know, not just a challenge, but an opportunity to be able to sort of put down a marker early on this season? Yeah, when we got invited to the Battle for Atlanta's tournament, um, we knew it was going to be a special few days down in the Bahamas. Mm -hmm. And I think that the field was out, and it's, you know, three to four top ten teams in the country. You're going to be tested three days in a row. And mm -hmm. so hard building your non-conferences, seeing different styles, um, going down against the best uh, competition in the country. So I think it's going to test us early. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, the bigger picture is to get yourself ready for Big East Conference play. And that's right. what we look forward to. It's going to be a phenomenal bonding trip, too. Mm -hmm. A little sunshine, palm trees, and then some great basketball <laughs> Yeah, it's certainly an enjoyable way to spend a late November uh, few days. Um, Jordan, I, I know we've talked in the past about um, your distribution, and obviously this has been something that's a critical part of your game. I'm wondering when you think about how you want that to go this year, do you have a, a statistical benchmark in mind? Is there a way that you kind of measure where you want that to get to in terms of your passing? Yeah, I think that's something that's been a part of my role, like you said, as long as I've stepped on campus. And um, I'm not really big on the numbers, but I think that last year um, I was able to grow in a lot of areas that were helping the team and, and specifically assisting and mm -hmm. passing was one of those. So um, I just think of, you know, when it comes to how I'm going to help the team in that aspect, mm -hmm. just being able to be aware of who's on the, on the floor at that at that given time, mm -hmm. knowing the offense and kind of where people are going to be at. So, you know, it, it's more of the, you know, studying the game and, and then being able to you know, react and play out of that. So. And then, Chloe, for you, you know, what have your conversations with Coach been like about, you know, what seems pretty clearly is going to be an expanded role this season? Yeah, we just have talked about, you know, staying, staying the same. You know, I think, mm -hmm. like, being a fifth year and understanding what the experience is just be Chloe, honestly, come out on the court and do the little things and play hard, and when you have the chance to score, obviously take advantage of that. But mm -hmm. um, I think it's most important just the leadership roles that I've talked about with Coach Duffy and, and ensuring that, you know, the freshmen have what they what they need to have, and then also the underclassmen and even the juniors as well, and just can continue to learn throughout the season and how it can help with that. Do you have benchmarks in your mind about, you know, things that you are looking to reach this year? You know, we... we yeah, fill yeah, the stat sheet is right. always one to definitely look forward to. But sure. obviously as a team, like we're not, you know, looking forward to getting far in the Big East tournament and you know continuing to um, hope for success future and postseason and things like that. And coach, just, you know, this is a program where you won 23 games last year. But even the conversation, even the questions before we get here are about how to get back to what you're looking to. What do you think it says about where Marquette Women's Basketball is at this point, that you guys are um, in a position where 23 wins is something to build off of? You know, for a lot of programs, that would be, you know, the, the top of the mountain. Absolutely. The, the standards are high at Marquette, and, and you just you hit it on the head, you win 23 games, and it's like, what more can we do? Right. we got to, you know, fix little things like this. But I love that challenge. I think we, we coach with a chip on our shoulder. Mm -hmm. I think our players are extremely humble. They don't care about preseason awards or rankings. They want to talk about this current uh, Marquette team that's that's building these first few months in the fall and mm -hmm. ultimately we, we want to be a finished product by March and those steps along the way so we love the challenge of it um, as a group and a program we, we probably set them higher than the people from the outside and we'll mm -hmm. keep doing that and stay in our own little bubble with um, being there for each other and improving every day. And whether it's wins whether it's some other way you know how do you measure success in your mind and are there specific things you're looking for out of 22-23 that you think uh, will reflect the accomplishments you're looking to have. You know, for me, 
I'm so proud of the women I get to coach every day. Uh, they, they bring it on all aspects of their life. We talk about winning and getting to the tournament and winning 23 games and mm -hmm. statistical goals they have. Um, but I, I'm even more proud of the, the way they conduct themselves in the classroom, out in our community. So, you know, a coach is happy when they, all three aspects of their lives are all working together. And I got a group that does that. And it's only going to get better. I think they, they continue to improve each other every day and the way they kind of put their blinders on and care about each other and work extremely hard. I think those are all the positive things that will show at the end of the season. Last thing, I was just curious from a scheduling perspective, you guys start with FDU. Yeah. Um, you know, bringing a, a, a Jersey crew uh, out to the Midwest. Can you just take me through sort of how that came about? And obviously FDU has had a significant amount of success here. So that's that's no easy gimme win right exactly. out of the box for you guys. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we, we try and build that non-conference to, to, you know, fill a couple things, get ready for conference play. So style of play, you want to get, uh, play against teams that have been successful, have great nets. Um, yeah, and FDU had a nice season last year. They got a great younger head coach that's, um, that has done a great job turning that program to the in the direction she wants it to go. And, um, yeah, so we kind of just invited them out there, and I'm, I'm sure they're picking up a couple games out in the Midwest, but it'll be good first game um, out in the Alma. Is that a home and home? Do we do we host no, in Jersey just, next just year? Game, just the one right? game. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Well, listen, thank you all very much. Uh, a couple things. I want to talk uh, a little Lauren Park Lane, if we could, at the start. And just the fact that she was shooting north of 39% from three last year on five attempts. And I know we have talked throughout her career about the fact that getting to that level of efficiency from three is key for her when you think about her not only here as a player, but at the next level. Can you just take me through just through how she's gotten there and how huge that's been for the program as well? And, and that's a great great point. That's why you guys do such a great job. Analytically, it was important for her to improve her percentage. It was also important for her to improve her attempts because the more attempts she had, the more and, and the better the percentage, the more people would come out and open up the rest of her game. Mm -hmm. If she did not take those shots and make those shots, the rest of her game would have suffered mightily. Right. So we've done it. Analytically, we knew we had to get her to five, this year, seven three-point attempts. So what we've done is she's shooting two and three feet behind the line in every drill, every individual workout, so she can get better at it and better at it. Her, her goal has always been to play at the next level. Yes. When you think about it in those terms, how significant is her getting to this point? I mean, you know as well as anyone, when, when WNBA talent evaluators come out, they're looking at not just a willingness to shoot, but obviously how effectively they're doing it. And, and, and I think with her, her ability at the next level will be setting people up. Mm -hmm. Will be that, you know, pesky guard, picking up full court, setting people up. But if she can't shoot, her ability to set other people up is going to be Minif um, is going to be reduced because of the fact that they're going to play off her. She can't go by people when they're three feet off her and everything. Now her ability to shoot is going to open up the rest of her game. So she, when she plays at the next level, she's passing the ball to their superstars for wide open shots mm -hmm. because it's her, those other kids have to help on the high. This is a lead that got four teams in the tournament. A lot of people thought that was high. That seemed low to me, to be frank. I'm curious. I know you have obviously, you know, some personal uh, feelings in terms of that. But take me through, if you could, about sort of what you think four meant, and whether you think that's a stepping stone to where this league ought to be getting to. Four meant a lot. I think that was really important. I think even more importantly, three of them won a game. Right. Two of them won 
four games. One of them won. One of them won four games. One of them won five games. Yeah. So that's a big thing. So you had one team won a game, another team won four games, and another or three games. Another team went to the finals. Obviously, I think that's as important as getting four teams in. Mm-hmm. So next year, these power five teams leagues are getting seven, eight teams in and winning only two or three of the first round games. Mm-hmm. We've shown that three kind of fourths of our teams won at least a game and two went to the Elite Eight, one went to the Final Four, obviously. I think that was as important as anything. I think we have to, again, show our medal in our non-league games. Mm-hmm. Not just beating the power fives, but our bottom teams not losing the teams that are in lower level leagues. Right. It's okay to lose to same level or above level, mm-hmm. but when you start losing to teams that are you know, ranked in the 200s or leagues that are ranked 24, 25, 26, that's where we struggle. Mm-hmm. And I think our bottom teams are healthier, added talent, and are going to be much better. Mm-hmm. So I think that's going to help us get another team in. I think we're a four and five big league. I say that all the time. You know, obviously UConn's in its own realm, but three or four of us should get in. Right. I thought we were right there. I, we talked about that before. We yeah. lost a couple games early in the year that came back to bite us. But at the end of the year, we were one of the top 68 teams. There's no doubt in my mind. No doubt in mine either. And, and obviously you're looking to win the Big East, but it seems like in looking at your schedule this year, you're also looking to win the Ivy League. Can you yeah, I know, I know. I got Princeton. I got Columbia. I think we're going to add Harvard next year. I, so. I mean, and the cream of the crop, too, in terms of the Ivy this year, those are the two teams that should be right there at the end. Uh, you know, how much do you feel like you're going to learn about your team early on uh, from what you see out of playing Princeton and playing Columbia? You know, uh, obviously Columbia, you know, a team that had that deep NIT run last year, and Princeton, a team, you know, that uh, won a game in that to about 20. Correct. And, and yeah. lost the next game by one or two points. Was right there. Who we won, we beat on the road. Right. Like, that was a huge win. And mm-hmm. people like, if Princeton's name had said North Carolina, they would have been like, oh my God, it's a great win. But Winston lost North Carolina by one point in the NCAA tournament. Right. Like, and, and beating Kentucky before that. Correct. True so Pickham like, game, yeah. Yeah, we, we want to play them. They're ranked 24th in the country preseason, mm-hmm. deservedly so, and we're going to have to play really well. But mm-hmm. we wanted to add them. I wanted to add Columbia because we had a great environment last year. But, and, you know, they have a really good coach and, 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 and a great team. So we're going to do a perpetual contract with them as well, too. And I like that a lot yeah. and, and everything. I think those two teams are going to really help us. And uh, we're looking to add Harvard down the line as well. Because so do you get an honorary trophy from yeah, the Ivy League? You know, that's, that's as close to an Ivy League education as I can get. <laughs> so, you know, but, but they're good. And, yeah. You know, we have a good non-league schedule. And, that's important. and then when you just think overall, like a single number you're looking at that will indicate whether this is a team that's meeting its goals or not. You know, just analytically, what is that number for you? You know, is it is it increasing rebound percentage? You know, where, where, where is it for we, you guys? Well, we talked about that. We have to win the turnover battle by at least five every game. That's really important. And we have to be a much better rebounding team. I think we're a minus five or six. We have to be a zero. We're a zero rebounding, then we're going to be in good shape. Because we're not going to have as many offensive rebounds as the other teams. I think we'll shoot a very good percentage. Mm-hmm. So we got to be a zero. Makes sense, Tony. I actually do want to start with that um, that wisdom. You were just talking to the great Maggie Vinoni um, about um, about what the definition of a sophomore is. In Greek, in Greek, sophomore means soft, soft. Sophist means wise, and moron means fool. Mm-hmm. So basically, a sophomore is considered a wise fool. And Anissa Morrow is coming into her second year of college basketball. We want to make sure Anissa Morrow 
is a great second-year player and not a wise fool. Somebody who did things freshman year that very few, if anyone, ever has uh, at this school or any school. I, I, I guess, did she exceed what you thought she would be right away in you know a system that's very difficult to navigate, especially for young players um, here at DePaul? I, I'm, I'm really... I, I'm really excited about her competitiveness from the time I, I've known her as a camp kid, 6th, mm -hmm. 7th, 8th grade. I, you know, she's, she's always been an ultra-competitive player, mm -hmm. and, and she brings a, a ultra-competitiveness to the game that's just really special. So I, I think that's really basically her signature is that mm -hmm. competitiveness. But, you, know, I, I, you don't never know. You never know what the player is going to do once they get to school. Mm -hmm. you know, I have a lot of confidence that every player we recruit is going to have a great career, but you don't know if it's going to break out in his freshman year or not break out until junior or senior year. Mm -hmm. So that's he's broken out right away in the freshman year. To have this kind of broad base of skills that she can kind of build from, you know, you, you've said no shortage of players to the pros. Does she look to you like somebody who is going to be ready, you know, four years out to be a WNBA star? And do you think she has, let's say, the highest W ceiling of anyone here in this conference where there are no shortage, obviously, players who are going to play at the next level? Well, I think she's got a great... I think she's got a great future in the game. Mm -hmm. It's just all going to come down to her work ethic and her competitiveness and mm -hmm. maintaining that focus and the work ethic and staying healthy. But I think there's no doubt she's a WNBA player, mm -hmm. and I think she'll have a chance to be a very special WNBA player. But she still has, you know, still has to keep working and get better every single day. Is there a particular area where you feel like there's a benchmark you want to see her hit to get to that point? No, I, I mean, Anissa has guard skills. And yeah. I, I love the fact that she's got guard skills. Mm -hmm. And you want your big players to have guard skills. But now, taking those guard skills and being able to mesh those guard skills by still playing to your strengths. Mm -hmm. you, know, you don't all of a sudden because you're getting a little bit guard skilled, go stand on the three-point line and chuck three. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Play your strengths while you're working on the weaknesses. I mean, that, that's the balance that, you know, Denise has obviously been working on with Maddie Segris, you know, pulling her out a little bit more, you know, and, and I, you know, when you see Maddie, when you see sort of the way that she has developed, I, and does she seem to you like she is on the cusp, not only of being player of the year here, but an opportunity to be an impact player at the next level, which I think very few people would necessarily predicted for her when she got to Villanova. No, I think Maddie's a, a, a great player. She's a great player because of her competitiveness and versatility. I mean, mm -hmm. she, just, she is the most versatile player in the, in the Big East because mm -hmm. she can play basically all five positions. She's a great passer. She's a great rebounder. She can play away from the basket. She can play with her back to the basket. So she's just a very versatile player. And that's, that's what makes me happy. This, this conference got four NCAA tournament teams last year. There are some who thought um, it should have been more. You know, Seton Hall was certainly right there in the mix, right to the end. I, do you see it as a big deal, not only that uh, you guys got four, but that there was so much success, you know, not just UConn in the Final Four, but, you know, another Elite Eight team and Villanova going out and beating BYU. Um, you know, do you think that matters in the NCAA's eyes as they think about, you know, these teams this year and beyond? You know, I, I think the history of what you do in the NCAA tournament definitely matters mm -hmm. from year to year. And, and you know, I definitely think Seton Hall deserved to be in the NCAA tournament a year ago. Mm -hmm. So I mean, really did deserve five. And, and, you know, it's just it's one of those situations where 
we're an 11 team conference, so yeah, and, and, and you also have to just keep your eye on who's who the players are in the selection process at, at any given year. But I mean, right. the fact that we got four, I think they were well deserved for, but I, I did think Seton Hall belonged in, yeah. and that's almost half the league. And then just uh, the, on the point of the way you play. Uh, you are guaranteed pretty much every year you're going to lead the lead in pace. And I just wonder as a coach, you know, a, 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 who, who plays this way, wh how much of an advantage do you think that gives you and how much joy do you, does it give you to be able to see a team play this way? You know, obviously in a way that's different from the way a lot of the way the country plays. Well, I, I really just believe if you don't have the overall best talent mm -hmm. in the country, then you have to do something different. Hmm. You either and different in basketball means you either play slow or you play fast. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of schools and coaches that, that are successful because they play slow. Mm -hmm. And they slow the game down and they shorten the game and that gives them a, a, a better opportunity for them and their style to win. I, and I just think the players would rather play fast. I think the fans would rather watch fast. Mm -hmm. The great Pat Summit used to say that, that offense sells tickets, defense wins games, and defense rebounding wins championships. Right. So you want to, yeah, yeah, that sometimes makes it seem like offense doesn't matter. She's right, defense and rebounding does make win championships. But after you defend and rebound, you get the ball. And when you get the ball, you got to put the ball in the basket. Right. And so you can put the ball in the basket at a 50-point pace, or you can put the ball in the basket at an 80-point pace. And that's the other thing people don't understand about our pace. Hmm. There's two ways to play our pace. The Paul Westhead, their amount way, which is to let the other team score. Right. Or to still try to defend while you're playing and keep the pace up. And that's very difficult to, to be a great defensive basketball team yeah. because you have to be risk-reward to maintain the pace. Mm -hmm. If you play traditional grinded-out defense, you're going to slow the game down. Right. So to keep the pace of the game up and play defense, you have to play risk-reward defense, mm -hmm. which allows people to get some easier baskets. Yeah, I mean, best watch in the country, my bar none in my opinion, um, to your team's year in and year out. I do have one more, it's unrelated, but I have a colleague who's working on a piece about family connections at SIU Edwardsville. And so I was wondering if you could kind of take me through the Chicago connections there, you know, both the Bruno family connections and uh, also obviously the Quigley family connections uh, and, and, you know, how much, how much that means to you to be able to see it continuing in that way? No, I mean, the, the Quigley family, both Allie and Sam, were just special players in, our, in the history of our program. Yeah. And then they were great players, great people, and so different. I mean, mm -hmm. Allie is this quiet, kind of introverted, but just an unbelievably offensive, great offensive player. And, and, and Sam was a, the quintessential point guard and, and leader. And, and so just to see that both of them was having so much success. And then my son Bradley, you know, Bradley and Sam actually did live together you know, as roommates in college. Mm -hmm. And so they've known each other a long, long time. Bradley was a practice player. He has paid his dues. He spent five years in our program in non-coaching positions, both as a video coordinator and director of basketball ops. Mm -hmm. So it's not like he just got the job because his name is Bruno. Sure. And then Sam is doing a great, great job. And you got to remember the men's coach down there is Brian Maroney, the son of Tony Maroney. Mm -hmm. Tony has recently passed away. He was a great Chicago icon as a player, 
at high school as a, as a player at Duke University and as a college basketball coach at Creighton, Texas A&M, and one of the Memphis Grizzlies. So mm-hmm. Ryan Brown is down there at, at SIU at Memphis in the So when you're not watching DePaul, you know, when you're not coaching DePaul, is SIU Edwardsville going to be on the TV for you? Well, yeah, except I don't really have time to be watching anybody else because, <laughs> believe me, when I'm not watching DePaul, I'm watching who DePaul is going to be playing. So. That's true. Thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen today. We had a great time at Madison Square Garden. And something you may not know is that Madison Square Garden isn't just a place for Big East Women's Basketball Media Day. There's actually an NBA team there, the National Basketball Association. Um, they're called the New York Knicks. Uh, they don't play for long. You know, they're just the regular season usually. But the NBA season is here. And our local NBA experts are available to you by making your second listen Locked on NBA. Alex Wolf does a great job with the Knicks, the 29 other teams who are, um, you know, more likely to continue to play uh, once the regular season is over and into the postseason will also be there. All the biggest stories around the NBA every Monday through Friday in less than 30 minutes, not to mention, you know, why uh, Jalen Brunson is disappointing Knicks fans who are uh, nevertheless geared for disappointment. Uh, why is Julius Randle not passing the ball? That was something he did two years ago. It worked very well. Uh, why has that stopped? Um, you know, plus also the teams, again, you know, that will continue to play into the playoffs. Locked on NBA, available on YouTube, Odyssey, and whenever you're, wherever you get podcasts. I'm Howard Meddahl wishing you a wonderful day. We will be back with you tomorrow with Natalie Heverin on the Atlantic 10. This is Lockdown Women's Basketball. Have a wonderful day. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.